Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. If you're looking to throw some optics on your turkey gun this spring, look no further than the Vortex Defender ST. This is the red dot we're going to be running this season. We're excited about it. This thing's built like a tank, super lightweight, super long battery life, everything you need in a good turkey red dot. And if you want to get a discount on that red dot or any other Vortex Optic, go to eurooptic.com and use the code SGN10 to get a discount. That's eurooptic.com, code SGN10. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar. May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you. And we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got a special announcement for you guys before we hop into this episode. I'd like to announce that on January 21st, Saturday, we will be at Weaver Meat Processing in Hartz, Alabama. It's just off 65 right there in Hartzell, kind of the northern part of the state. And uh, we're, we're having an event there, a little Southern Outdoorsman meet and greet. Uh, there will be 
free lunch. Lunch will be provided by Weavers. They'll have a lot of samplers out there where you can try their, you know, deer bologna and, and hot dogs and burgers and just all kinds of stuff. I think they said they're making, like, bologna burnt ends or something. Like, that sounds amazing. So, uh, looking forward to that. So, lunch will be provided. Come hungry. We're doing a live podcast at 1 o'clock. The event will be from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. Uh, we will have um, Buckmasters, Master Score Steve Lucas there. He will score your buck. So you can bring your, your buck mount, Euro mount, uh, you know, a rack you got in the freezer, whatever you got. You can bring it there, get it scored. And, of course, friend of the show, great friend of the show, and now author, Michael Perry, he will be there to visit with us. He'll, uh, he'll have some copies of his books. You can get him to sign it or you can buy a book or whatever you want to do or just stand around and, you know, chat, talk deer hunting with him. So, looking forward to all that. On top of all of that, though, we're also partnering with Onyx for this uh, particular event. And for this event, if you show up and you bring a deer to Weaver Meat Processing that day to get processed, you're automatically entered to win some giveaways from Onyx. But not only that, you don't even have to bring a deer in. You can just fill out a contact card with Weavers, and you're entered into that giveaway. So, we're going to be giving away a bunch of stuff like that as well. Uh, so, it's going to be a really good time. I'd like to invite everybody to come to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're really looking forward to meeting all you guys and uh, talking deer hunting with you, doing that live podcast. It's going to be a lot of fun. Can't wait to get there, shake everybody's hand, hang out. So make sure you mark your calendar January 21st, 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. Be there. So without further ado, let's jump into this episode with Mr. Justin Houston doing a deep dive on terrain features. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. This week, we've got a return guest on uh, who it's it's been quite a while. Uh, I actually don't remember the episode number right off the top of my head. I'll have to look it up. we got Mr. Justin Houston back on the podcast from here in Central Alabama. Justin, how are you doing? I'm good, guys. How are you guys doing? Uh, I'm doing great. Uh, Jacob, how are you doing? Coming in remote? I'm doing well, uh, guys. Super excited for this episode. So, Justin, thanks again for joining us. No problem, man. So, Justin, um, just to kind of lay a little bit of groundwork, uh, like I said, we'll figure out what episode you were originally on and uh, and mention that here in a minute and, and put it in the show notes so people can go check that out. But uh, give us a little background of yourself, kind of where you're from and, and how this hunting season's been going for you. So, I'm, uh, you know, from, I'd say, central, eastern central Alabama, uh, Calhoun County area. Uh, you know myself, um, public land hunter, that's basically all I do. Um, for the most part, you know, managing areas, national forests, and, you know, some federal properties that I have access to. Um, this season, you know, it's been good. I haven't personally hunted as much as I have in the past uh, due to, you know, growing family and, you know, my boys keeping me busy with um, their schedules and, you know, taking my oldest from state to state wrestling and everything else. But as far as hunting goes, um, uh, it's, it's been a successful season, uh, you know, between myself and my son and my hunting partner. I think we've killed a total of four bucks, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so, you know, so far, been pretty good. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and two of those bucks are, are yours, right? That's correct. Yeah. So, yep, one more till you're tagged out here in Alabama. Um, just to give people, like, a little bit better idea of kind of the the setting that you're, that you're normally hunting in, uh, kind of describe the terrain and habitat that that you're usually chasing these whitetails in so i would say it's mostly you know a mountainous terrain uh that's uh i guess it was you know probably four years ago four or five years ago now that's i set out to uh 
figure out how to hunt those bucks in the hills uh you know around my part of the state there's some there's some pretty good hills around here so uh, um you know most of the time it's hardwoods with uh mountain laurel thickets and whatnot um you know every now and then you might find a you know a planted pine plantation uh up on top or something like that but you know it's mostly big hardwoods mm-hmm. yeah and you know justin we actually uh we actually leading up to this hunt that we went on last week we actually went back and re-listened to your episode a couple times uh just trying to get some tips because we were hunting an area pretty similar to uh to where you hunt and uh we were wondering about like the terrain versus the habitat and everything because it was really a new thing for us coming from pine cutover country uh kind of more rolling hills to go into a more mountainous uh terrain with a more monotonous habitat like there's not just pine thickets all over the place there's not cutovers all over the place it's it's pretty much all just big timber and like you said the, the there's maybe the occasional little pine thicket where there's a small cut or something like that so when it comes to kind of your style are you focusing more on habitat or are you focusing more on just straight up terrain it's gonna be terrain um you know mostly what i key on is you know is based right related you know deer movement um that's what i try to do and you know uh this part of the state you know i can kind of you know go from county to county or you know sometimes hill to hill you know a couple of miles down the road and you know and pretty much hunt the rut um you know for a couple of months straight uh so uh, mainly that's what it is uh, rather than the habitat mm-hmm. yeah and so i think in that first episode you talked a lot about uh saddles hunting saddles and, and you really like targeting those um, I know that Jacob had a conversation with you prior to this episode about that, where it's is pretty in-depth on, on how you actually go and target the saddle. So, Jacob, do you want to kind of get into that? Yeah, we can kind of dive into that topic when it comes to the saddles, because saddles play a huge factor for, you know, the spot where I killed my deer, and then also, you know, some of these areas that we were kind of running trail cameras and everything else. But, Justin, on the last episode we had you on, which was episode, I looked it up, it was episode 219, um, you know, you mentioned saddles being a, a huge part of, you know, things that have helped you be successful when it comes to hunting terrain. When, when it comes to like bucks using those saddles, can you talk about like some of the different, uh, travel paths of kind of how you see a buck using saddles at different times of the year and kind of how that kind of plays up for how you want to set up in a saddle? Cause a lot of our listeners will hear us talk about, you know, hunting in a saddle or hear guests talk about it. And a lot of people think like they're just going to sit right down the middle of the saddle, like right in the low spot of the saddle, and that's not always the case. So can you give us your take on when it comes to the setup for hunting a saddle versus how you would expect a buck to kind of come cruising through a saddle? Yeah, so I think on the you know on the first episode I've done with you guys, you know, I mentioned that I like to hunt the high side. Um, and I'd say, you know, that obviously hasn't changed too much. Um, you know, very seldom, you know, the saddles I hunt – you know, it's not going to be one that's uh, a couple hundred yards wide or anything like that. You know, it's going to be a a smaller one, 90% of the time, you know, that, that just really uh, pinches down on the top of a ridge or, you know, in between two ridges or something like that. Um, you know, if if at all possible, I'm always on the, on the higher side, uh, depending on, you know, the conditions. Um, sometimes it don't work out, you know, obviously, you know, if it's an afternoon hunt or something like that, I might change my conditions or change myself a little bit and, you know, hunt on the 
downward side closer towards the bottom or something like that, you know, due to my thermals and whatnot. Uh, but for the most part, you know, it is on the higher side. Uh, and, you know, from my experience of what I've seen, you know, with the bucks do in the mountains is, you know, they'll obviously use those, um, those, you know, saddles and pinch points, you know, just like humans do, you know, like when we're traveling, you know, in our vehicle place to place, you know, um, you know, there's just like an intersection. Um, and I'll see those bucks not always, they don't always particularly just, you know, walk through the middle of them. Um, but they walk in close to them. And from my experience, you know, I think they're doing that, you know, to, um, you know, basically they're like the police officer, um, you know, looking for speeders, you know, if, if that's a good example, you know, because that buck knows there's a lot of traffic coming, you know, through those areas. And, uh, what I see is, you know, sometimes, you know, he'll walk the high side, just, just close enough to maybe scent check it, you know, or just kind of eyeball it to see what's going on and, you know, and kind of hang out for, you know, a minute, slowly making his way through there, you know, um, uh, checking sense and whatnot. But, um, uh, that's, you know, that's how I've seen them use it in my opinion. Um, uh, and, and, you know, sometimes it's not always a, a, uh, super defined saddle you know it, it may just be the you know a pinch in top of a ridge you know that they use you know for those same conditions yeah justin there's a lot there that you just said that, that we can get into but one of the things is mentioning how the bucks like they kind of hang off to the side of the saddle um with that are you talking more about them betting on the side of the saddle or maybe just them kind of paralleling it kind of walking past it you know on the side of the hill yeah, I would say, you know, like paralleling it, uh, walking past it. So, like, um, I think I mentioned a hunt on the first episode, you know, where I had a, the spot I was hunting, you know, the buck. He walked, uh, I would say he walked the, I mean, I'm going to say it was the western side of the ridge that day, you know, and he was, that buck was actually walking with the wind at his back, you know, walking to me. But, you know, he was walking that dark side that morning. And, um, and coming around and, you know, and it pinched just a little bit, you know, but he was, he wasn't going to walk through it, you know, but he walked just on the edge of it, you know, just enough to where it, you know, um, he could see it, you know, um, I don't, he wasn't necessarily going to smell anything, you know what I mean? Because the wind was at his back blowing to it. Uh, but you know, he was walking that direction, uh, just on the, you know, outside edges of it to, see you know what was going on yeah that, that's interesting because that's i'm pretty much exactly what i ended up seeing on our recent hunt uh we had these two bucks come up come down out of this little kind of glade area and they they did exactly that they paralleled that saddle and they were walking just off the lip of that saddle where they could see up on it uh kind of in that flat spot between the two higher areas and they, they could definitely see up there and one of them actually ended up peeling off and he got down pretty close to us. He ended up walking like 50 yards below the saddle and he just stood down there and hung out for like 20 minutes until dark. He came out, he came out right at sundown and he stayed there pretty much until the end of legal light, just hanging out almost like he was listening maybe up there, right. um, trying to hear if anything else was walking through that saddle. You know, I've had an experience before, um, hunting, hunting a saddle or a pinch point like that. And this was, you know, really before I set out to um, 
get an understanding of how to hunt terrain. But, you know, looking back at it now, I, w- I recall sitting there that morning and, you know, and I just had like an uneasy feeling that uh, something was there and I almost felt like it was watching me. And as I got to looking, you know, I, I glanced over to my left and, you know, really started studying and there was actually a mega six point, you know, that was standing over there like 75 yards and that that particular buck he stood there for 15 minutes you know just eyeballing everything below him you know and trying to pick up on any movement you know that was there so um they definitely you know they definitely do that for sure so with that kind of setup you're saying you like to set up on the high side of the saddle meaning you know like a saddle is created by two high spots on a ridge and the saddle is the low area between the two of them so you're saying you want to get on the higher side of that how does that play with your thermals in the evening where it kind of starts getting to dark and you know your thermals are going to go downhill potentially right into that saddle is that just something that you're doing for a morning or midday hunt and then you get off the side of it for an evening hunt or do you just hunt on the high side either way so you know i'll be honest with you you know like evenings have not been my strong point um you know for the I'll be honest with you. I think honestly, um, this year was the the first bug that I've killed in the evening since 2014. And I know that probably sounds ridiculous, uh, but it's the truth. And, you know, I'm not ashamed to tell you that. Um, you know, in a way, I kind of have probably, you know, the amount of evenings I've hunted since I started hunting uh, the mountainous terrain, you know, it, it's honestly, you know, probably 10 percent of all the hunts that i you know that i've actually been on so but you know like that particular deer uh that i killed this year um you know it was an evening hunt and i knew that uh you know my particular uh normal setup you know wasn't going to work you know due to my thermals and whatnot so you know on that deer um you know there wasn't a he wasn't necessarily using a specific saddle you know there was like a north south running ridge that had a intersecting um east west and then you know like the east west had some finger ridges running off of it um you know so what i did you know with that deer for example is uh there was you know i studied the map and whatnot before i went in there um and you know just so everyone is aware you know this wasn't a deer that i had found myself this was you know 100 percent uh a deer that my my buddy had found and you know he was uh nice enough to take me in there and you know and kind of tell me where to go so uh you know but i studied the map and you know and i figured out a spot where i could hunt and i felt like it put me um in the right position to cover all of those uh terrain features but at the same time put me just below where I thought I might see the deer come out and you know that and that's exactly what happened fortunately and it might not ever happen again you know but it it happened like that that day so um yes to answer your question you know in the in the evenings I am having to change uh, my setup a little bit to uh, be able to hunt you know those mountainous areas Mm -hmm. so you also mentioned that uh you were catching like you caught I think you mentioned a minute ago you caught a buck on the on the dark side of the ridge i guess in the morning uh meaning he's just on the whatever like the i guess the western side of the ridge 
sun's rising in the east, shining, so that that western slope's going to be still in the shade, and he was traveling that. Is that is there is there kind of anything to that? Is there a reason that you're setting up trying to see that dark side of the ridge? Like, do you find them traveling that in those early morning hours more? Well, and you know, I don't know if it's a I don't know if it's a thermal related thing to you know to where it's still um, maybe at their advantage. You know, if they're walking just off the crest on the westerly side, you know, uh, you know, due to the thermals obviously still falling on that side for sure. I'm not sure if that's what it is or not, uh, but I have I have noticed, you know, that bucks do prefer, uh, in my opinion, you know, that's where I see them a lot of times is walking that darker side. Um, and, you know, first thing, um, I actually had a guy uh, reach out to me a couple of weeks ago, probably been a month or so ago now, and, and you know, and asked me some questions on how I hunted, you know, certain spots like that um and you know i can go back to that deer that i mentioned that was actually walking that you know that westerly side and um and explain the situation you know just the way i explained it to this gentleman you know like <clears throat> that ridge there was you know um, let's just say it was four or five hundred yards long um you know and, and what i done on that particular deer was you know and and there's been some others as well as you know before I go in there, I try to find the spot that I can put myself on the same playing field as the buck or, you know, I'm going to put myself in a position to where I can hunt the western side of the ridge and the eastern side of the ridge, you know, and be able to cover as much ground as possible. Um, you know, so that, you know, that helped me with that situation too. Mm-hmm. So you're just trying to see, basically see, Get, get to where you can see the middle of the saddle, but also see down both sides of that hill on either side of the saddle. I don't want to put myself in an area, you know, where I'm really limited to only seeing the top or only seeing the western side or the eastern side. Um, you know, you know, a lot of the ridges, you know, in my area, they're not really, I'm not going to say that they're, you know, hundreds, hundreds of yards wide across the top, but they're not the little, you know, skinny finger ridges that you, you know, that you hear about more in, you know, western, uh, northwestern Alabama. You know, you don't, we don't, there's not as many as those around here as, you know, as there is in that part of the state. So, um, you know, I just don't want to limit myself by climbing on either side, you know, and either risk, uh, you know, getting busted with fallen thermals on the dark side or, you know, hunting the, you know, the eastern side with rising thermals, but then not seeing any deer. You know, so I just try my best to um, find find that one spot, you know, um, <clears throat> on the ridge, you know, that's going to put me in position to be able to cover as much, you know, of that ground as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's uh, that's something that Jacob actually talked to you about, I think, before this hunt that we just went on. And, and we did have a lot of those little skinny, like very skinny ridges that you just mentioned where we were at. And, uh, and so we were targeting saddles on those with the mindset of, hey, let's get somewhere where we can hopefully see down both sides. Now, the the habitat was a little bit different. It didn't really let us see through a lot of that stuff. But uh, when it comes to um, setting up on a saddle just per time of year, and, and this is going to kind of lead into a different question. I had a guy uh, actually message the Southern Outdoorsman Facebook page the other day, and he was asking, he was just like, man, I just hunted a saddle the other day, like, 
or I, I think he, maybe he said he'd been hunting saddles and he's like, I haven't seen anything. I'm getting really discouraged. Um, and you know, per where he was at, he's like way past the rut where he's at. So are saddles a thing that you're primarily focusing on during the rut or is it just kind of an any time of year thing or is it spot specific? Well, I think it's spot specific. Um, and you know, I can, I can go back to the deer I killed in both season this year. Um, you know, it was, it was remotely close, uh, you know, to a, a bigger, uh, a bigger saddle. And now it was on top of a mountain, uh, obviously a, a big mountain and it had some long running, uh, finger ridges off of it. And, and this particular saddle, it wasn't really like super defined and, um, you know, like, I'm going to call it deep and stuff like that. You know, it was a, it was a more, you know, flat, you know, just a flat rolling wider, um, uh, saddle, you know, in this particular area. And, um, it actually had, you know, it actually had a few oaks, um, that were, that were dropping. Um, whereas, you know, there wasn't anything dropping on the, you know, the sides or the, um, <clears throat> or out on the fingers. Um, so, you know, in like that situation, you know, the, you know, those deer were coming up there to feed, uh, in that particular area. Um, uh, but, you know, probably 90% of the ones that I do target, you know, are, are deer in the rut. Um, I don't, I mean, I don't claim to be a good hunter by no means, but, uh, I'm definitely more successful hunting, uh, you know, rutting deer than I am, you know, uh, pre-rut or post-rut deer. Uh, just don't seem to be my strong points. Mm -hmm. uh, and that, that kind of brings me to another thing, you know, especially with a lot of newer hunters who might message us uh, or, or just people who are maybe new to reading topo maps. They'll, once they figure out what a saddle is and you, and you see it on a map and you understand it, then all of a sudden there's saddles like all over the place. I mean, there's just like saddles everywhere you look. Um, how do you kind of differentiate between which saddles you know, demand some attention from you versus which ones don't. Two things I'd say right off the bat is I really, uh, I'm not a fan of a, of a short ridge, a short, you know, running finger ridge with a saddle in it. Um, and what I say, a uh, finger ridge, I'm talking about, you know, one that's just a couple of hundred yards long, uh, you know, and there's no real definition of why, you know, why a deer would be, you know, crossing that, if there is a saddle, why a deer would be crossing that particular one. Um, you know, now if I can find one that, um, that's kind of the, you know, the intersection point between, um, two ridge systems, you know, that, that run out parallel to one another. Um, and that's going to be the area, you know, that, you know, they're, that they're going to use, you know, to go back and forth. Uh, you know, that's obviously one that I'm going to, you know, I'm going to investigate. Uh, or, you know, if, if there's one, um, if there's a saddle on a ridge system, you know, that like that runs, I'm going to say, you know, 400 yards out, um, you know, and 150, 200 yards wide, you know, I'm going to look at that. Uh, so mainly the, you know, the bigger ridges, you know, that have it. And then, you know, if it's one that's, you know, connecting to, parallel running, uh, parallel running ridges or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That actually sets up. I mean, that's, that's pretty much the exact setup that Jacob ended up killing his buck in was a, a saddle where, a, where a, 
pretty long secondary ridge actually met a larger ridge. The, the larger ridge is parallel on it, and it just ran into it right there, and there was a saddle. And uh, it got a lot of traffic. Uh, but, Jacob, do you want to kind of describe that setup a little bit? Yeah, so that spot's uh, kind of interesting. And, you know, we've talked about it on a couple of other podcasts. But, again, it was just one of those, you know, larger saddles right there along an area that has, uh, you know, not only like the terrain that kind of would, you know, really funnel those deer into that saddle uh, because you had thermal hubs on either side of that saddle. But also you had like the, you know, pretty good thick cover around there. And, you know, clearly does have been using it along with uh, quite a few bucks. And, it, again, it just was a dynamite setup. Um, and one thing I saw, Justin, which I want to kind of talk to you about, is the idea of bucks coming up in elevation through the saddles. Can you give me some feedback on this, on kind of how you've seen maybe bucks coming up through a saddle instead of kind of paralleling the saddle? Is that something that you see often, or is that something that's kind of more hit or miss? I'm not going to say it's something I see often, but there is a uh... – I did have that happen last year um, on one of the bucks that I killed. Uh, a buddy of mine, we had we had met that morning, probably you know probably about like eight o'clock, and um, the objective you know objective of the day was really just to to go you know I had marked a few spots on the map and we were going to go check them out, and um, so like long story short, you know we we get in, you know, back in where we're going and whatnot. And, you know, I'm closing in now. I'm probably like 250, 300 yards from, um, you know, from my pen. And, you know, the sign was just insane. I mean, the scrapes and and rubs were, I mean, you could tell, you know, they were, they had just been made. I mean, it had just rained, you know, like the prior day. And I mean, you know, they're super fresh. And, you know, I actually recall telling him i thought man i just don't really want to go any further you know i've seen what i need to see um i said but let's i said let's ease on up here um you know to about where my pen is and you know just to kind of get a visual on you know what it actually looks like you know uh in person so we we eased on up there and um i recall getting up there and i actually you know took my backpack off uh, you know, neither one of us had a, you know, a, a climbing saddle or a stand, uh, with us, you know, cause we were just walking really mm-hmm. took our backpacks off and, uh, actually set them on the ground. And, um, and I remember I got a, you know, I got a bottle of water out of my backpack. Um, and I, you know, sitting there drinking, drinking my water and I heard something and, you know, I looked to my left and there was a, you know, there was a bug, he was walking he was actually walking straight up out of the bottom, straight up, um, you know, just on the, it, he would have actually been walking on the South side, um, of the saddle. Uh, so I don't know, you know, when I saw him, he was obviously coming up out of the bottom. Now, um, you know, the direction he came from, you know, was definitely, um, the higher part of the mountain. Um, so, I'm not sure why he chose to, you know, to cross where he did, um, because he could have, you know, there was like a faint roadbed that we were walking on. Uh, you know, he could have easily crossed in the saddle, um, you know, without having to walk, you know, through that creek bottom and straight back up the other side. But, you know, that's what he was doing, um, which, you know, was fortunate for me, you know, so, uh, 
you know, cause I was able to, I was able to harvest him and, you know, that was, uh, probably one of the easier and quicker hunts I've ever had. So, but it worked out. Justin, I got to bring this up too. So one thing that I noticed, you know, after hunting all these saddles for, you know, going on six, seven days was a lot of the movement that I was seeing was again, some of that paralleling movement that you mentioned, but also a lot of movement that was coming up and down in elevation at a 45 degree angle to the saddle. And what I mean by that is like the day I shot my butt, uh, I was sitting on the high side of the saddle uh, or just off the high side of the saddle. And that morning, I think I saw 10 deer that morning, 10 or 11 deer that morning. Every deer I saw was kind of quartering up in elevation. It was a morning hunt. They were coming up the eastern side of the slope. And they were either going up and around into the saddle or they were coming from the, the low spot of the saddle and kind of going around um, almost, I guess, paralleling, but coming up in elevation up the high side. Uh, and, and again, it's kind of like a 45-degree angle that they were kind of coming up in elevation in and around the high side of the saddle, which is kind of interesting because, again, sitting there, I was like, man, I was wondering, like, how hard it would be to potentially bow hunt this. But after seeing that spot, it had so many deer come within bow range, and it all seemed like they were just kind of coming up in elevation at a 45-degree angle around the high spot, uh, which made it really kind of interesting, again, about just that, how that deer movement was kind of laying out. And, again, just how consistently, at least that morning, it was like. But also when I had run-ins with a few other bucks earlier in the hunt, uh, a few days previously, they were in, it was actually an afternoon hunt, an evening hunt. They were coming off the saddle. I was sitting below on the low side of the saddle, uh, just off the top. And they were coming off the high sides of the saddle at a 45 degree angle, cutting below the, uh, the lowest point of the saddle and then kind of dropping down in elevation where there was more sign in the bottom. Um, and again, I thought that was kind of interesting. It's not like every deer was trying to go through the saddle. But it seemed like all the activity was in and around the vicinity, especially close to the highest spots of the saddle itself. Right. You know, and, and I like to use this scenario. You know, it's like it's like humans. You know, like when we travel places. You know, we obviously, you know, or I know I do. You know, I pull up the map quest and you know punch it in, and you look for the quickest and you know most convenient routes. You know, and, and sometimes you know, you know, it's going to give you the interstate sometimes it's going to give you the highway option or whatnot but you know it gives you those specific routes you know you're not you're not driving the you know the back country roads you know all the way to gatlinburg tennessee you know you're going you know you're running the interstate and you know i think deer you know to an extent uh certain times of the year especially does you know they know how to travel through you know through the mountains um they know that just like we do the roads that we drive on every day. Um, and I, you know, I firmly believe, you know, they, they do that for a purpose. Um, now, you know, I think the bigger bucks, obviously, you know, they don't, um, uh, they don't obviously always, uh, take the same routes as the does, but, you know, like during the rut, you know, when they let their guard down, you know, I think that's why we end up seeing those deer in those particular areas, you know, because they know they can use those, uh, you know those saddles and pinch points and uh, and they might not necessarily walk right through the middle of them like you're saying you know they walk the 45 degree angles around you know around the top of a ridge or whatnot you know to you know to get down to the creek bottom uh, to feed at night or you know if they're coming back up out of it you know from in the mornings uh coming out of those bottoms you know going back up to bed um you know they know the route to take it's just like we know the route to take 
Yeah, and I'm, I'm speaking about talking routes, Andrew. Uh, I, I'd love to start talking, uh, getting some access. But did you have any other questions, Andrew, specifically on the saddles itself? Yeah, one thing is, is there any specific things that have to do with, uh, well, let me put it this way. Are you looking for certain things in proximity to a saddle that, that make you think that it's going to be worthwhile? The reason I ask is, are outside of like big monotonous hill country, I guess, you'll have people talk about, if you're going to hunt a saddle, it's got to have something of value on basically either side of it that will make deer want to cross through that thing, like bedding over here, food over here, or like bedding on both sides or, or something like that. Uh, in, in the particular areas that we were hunting, we were actually hunting, uh, the high spots of the ridges actually had a lot of bedding on them. And so the saddles were almost like little gaps between bedding areas. And it, it ended up being really, really good. It set up really good for that kind of stuff. So is there anything that is in proximity to a saddle that when you see it, you're like, okay, I need to go check this out or anything lacking from the proximity of a saddle where you're like, I don't know if that's really worth my time hiking in there and looking at this one. Yeah. So, uh, you know, obviously, um, you know, if there's any thick cover, you know, obviously that's a, um, you know, every hunter's dream, you know, if you're a whitetail hunter in Alabama to, you know, you want some thick cover, uh, you know, if there's anywhere, any there, you know, especially on these hillsides and whatnot. I mean, I think we all know by now, you know, that a lot of deer prefer to bed and thicker cover. Uh, you know, so if it's there, that's definitely a plus. Uh, it's kind of like I mentioned earlier, you know, that's not always the case in the mountains. Uh, but, you know, as long as I know that um, there's, you know, a good bit of acreage, you know, on, on the other side, uh, from, you know, where the deer may be coming from, you know, um, you know, I like it. And what I mean by that is, um, I've just never been a fan of hunting a particular, you know, a particular ridge where maybe there's only, um, you know, four or five acres, you know, on, on the opposite side, you know, of the saddle. Uh, I want one that's going to, um, uh, you know, I feel like there's, the potential for multiple deer, uh, you know, to use, um, not just, you know, like one particular, you know, buck or, you know, or a couple of does that's bedded on that point, you know. Um, so, you know, my two go-tos are, you know, is there, you know, is there cover there and is, is there enough acreage um, in that proximity, you know, to hold multiple deer, um, you know, and, I like that just for the simple fact that if I feel like there's multiple deer there, uh, with, you know, or, or the, I'm going to say the capability of there being multiple deer there. Um, I just feel like that increases the odds of you seeing multiple bugs, you know, if it's deer in the rut, you know, from bucks coming through that area, uh, you know, to check for does and, you know, whatnot. Um, <clears throat> because, you know, if if they're there, the bucks are going. You know they they know they're there as well. So um, I just try to put myself in those, you know, in those particular type of saddles and areas, uh, you know, for my own benefit. Yeah, and how much does all this change? We've been talking about big mountain country, or at least what's big mountain country for us Alabamians. But do you have any experience in maybe some more gentle rolling hills, not not terrain that's quite as big or harsh? Is what we've been talking about and, and hunting saddles and that kind of stuff? 
not not particular. Uh, I could use a you know I went to uh, Northwest Alabama last year uh, and hunted a management area and you know there was uh, there was hills there. Um, there. It's a little different than you know what we're used to here in, in my area. Uh, you know it had you know it had more of like uh, I'm gonna say like bluff gaps and uh, stuff like that. Um, and so you'd have long, uh, long running, um, flat finger ridges. And when I say, when I say flat, like they would be so flat, sometimes you would forget that you were on a finger ridge, you know, and they would be three or 400 yards long. And then all of a sudden, you know, it would just drop down a bluff down to the creek. Um, so on those, you know, long running, uh, finger flats, you know, we were we were pretty successful in seeing deer in those type of areas uh but you know as far as you know like you know more general rolling uh type saddles and whatnot um you know here locally um i don't really have that much experience with them to be honest with you mm-hmm. what about any other like i want to get into access and everything but <clears throat> are there any other terrain features that you know are just as kind of noteworthy as saddles have been for you? Cause I mean, it sounds like saddles are kind of your main thing. Uh, but is there, are there any others that you're like really trying to target? Well, you know, for the past couple of years, um, you know, I've started playing, um, you know, I'm going to call it like a, a different role, a different role, if that makes sense. Um, and I guess it's kind of due to the fact that, um, you know, there's a lot of guys, um, that have obviously caught on to saddles and whatnot. I mean, uh, I don't think it's a secret, you know, uh, these days by no means. I mean, if you, um, especially if you know how to read a topo map, I mean, you know, you, you know where they're at, you know what they look like. And a lot of people's going to hunt them. And I, you know, and I feel like that, um, you know, some of those areas that probably wasn't getting pressure, you know, 10 or 11 years ago now are, are seeing pressure. So, but what I'm getting to on that is there's areas where, uh, you know, there's areas where bucks live, you know, that don't have saddles. And, uh, and, and I'll even say this for myself, you know, for ever since I became, you know, familiar with topo and, uh, and how to read them and whatnot, you know, I've overlooked those areas. And, and that's something, so I've been trying to get back to, um, you know, other type of terrain features, um, other than just saddles, uh, because I feel like there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of acreage out there that's getting overlooked, um, you know, because people are so focused on the saddle. Um, and it's like I mentioned earlier that, you know, the, um, the second buck I killed this year, he was actually in an area, you know, that didn't have a saddle. So, um, and, you know, but it was a, you know, there was, you know, north, south running ridges, east, west running ridges, finger ridges, uh, you know, had gullies, you know, coming up. And, uh, you know, I studied the area and, you know, and I felt like I put myself in the best position to cover all of that terrain. Um, you know, so I definitely think, uh, you know, it's worth everybody's while, uh, you know, to obviously look at other stuff, you know, other than the saddle because, you know, deer obviously, you know, use that kind of terrain too. 
Mm-hmm. Now, kind of getting on to the access thing that Jacob mentioned earlier, th- this is an interesting subject because it's not not necessarily something that, that we'd had to deal with very much until this hunt, and that was like your entry and exit to these saddles and how that works because when we were hunting in, in the area we were hunting last week, or two weeks ago, I guess it was now, there was the saddles up high and then you had big creek bottoms and our access was up and down the creek bottom. Well, the deer were coming off the tops. They were coming off the, the high spots, you know, next to those saddles. They were going down through the saddles and they were dropping off the side of the hills and they were going down into those bottoms and just making all kinds of sign during the night. And there was one night in particular, it was the night that I passed those bucks and Jacob had a bunch of bucks run by him. Um, all these deer, like right at dark, they just descended to that creek bottom. And that's right how we had to walk out. And we're like, well, crap, what do we do now? And so we elected to basically just turn our lights on and just do a steady walk straight out and, and not be quiet about it or anything. And so hopefully they'd hear us coming and just kind of get out of the way. And we were kind of worried that we were going to, you know, bump some deer out of there and start like putting some serious pressure on it. But it ended up seeming to work out because, uh, you know, I mean, we, we kept seeing deer after that. But, you know, how much attention do you pay to your access? And, and is there like a pretty meticulous way that you do it? Yeah, so there was a uh, – I'm going to give you a good example and a bad example of um, some things that happened last year. And I'm going to start with the bad. So um, there, was, there was a particular deer that uh, my buddy and I had found um, – and, you know, he was, it was a long, uh, and when I say a long running ridge, um, it was, you know, a mile long, uh, you know, from where we parked, uh, you know, back to where, you know, we had the deer on camera and whatnot. Uh, it was, he was a mile back in. And uh, the, the bad part about this area was, so you had this long running finger ridge you know, I call it a finger ridge because it, it wasn't really a, you know, a big, super tall ridge. You know, it was just a, a ridge that ran uh, all the way back, you know, through the woods and then it intersected um, with another ridge back there. Um, the, the ridge that it intersected with wasn't very big at all. Uh, but on the back side of it, it fell off into a deep creek bottom. Um, and so there was a... <clears throat> There was actually a little defined saddle right before, you know, it teed with each other. And, you know, um, there's, you know, there's some deer sign there, but all the buck sign, you know, and where we actually had the the buck on camera was on, on the, what I'm gonna call the T ridge, uh, you know, that we were walking to. Um, So we, you know, the unfortunate part is there wasn't much access uh, other than walking, you know, down the long finger. Uh, that's about, I mean, without, you know, just really going way out of the way. Um, that was about the only access to get in there. So, uh, I recall, you know, we were going back in there. Uh, it was during bow season one day and, uh, you know, before the leaves fell or anything like that. And we, we got in there and you know and it was obviously our, our first time in um you know since turkey season um and we we got in that we was coming off of the hill fixing to go through the saddle and he says he you know he kind of put his hand out and stopped me 
and he saw a deer, you know, and long story short, there was an eight point feeding over there on the, on the opposite side, you know, on the intersecting, uh, ridge. And, uh, so, um, you know, neither one has had a bow, but, you know, if we could have, you know, if we had had a bow, we ended up, we were able to sneak, we snuck within 30 yards of the deer, you know, he was just feeding on acorns and, you know, eventually he saw us, you know, after we'd stood over there, you know, 30 yards from it. Uh, but what I want to get to with that point is we hunted that particular deer that we had on camera, you know, uh, there's no telling how many hours that we both had, um, I would say it was well over 40 hours in the tree, uh, back in that particular area. And, uh, neither one has ever laid eyes on him or any other bucks. Um, I don't think I saw a doe. Um, now you talking about, you know, discouraged now I was, you know, I was beyond mad, uh, at, you know, at, at the point when I had, you know, had 20 plus hours in the tree myself and I haven't saw anything, but, you know, there was no good access in there. And I, you know, I feel like, you know, once we, we put the pressure on, uh, going back there a couple of times, you know, I felt like we were blowing him out. You know, we blew him out and, you know, he didn't come back. Um, and you know, the, and as the season went on, there's some, there were some other guys kind of parking remotely close to us and, you know, they wouldn't go in as far as we were, but, you know, you could kind of tell where they were stopping and, and we were, where, you know, we kept going. Um, but I felt like, you know, if we could have come in from the backside and hunted on the, you know, on the intersecting T part of the ridge, um, we'd have been lots better off, you know, if we were hunting, if we were set up there and, you know, anticipating uh, the deer to come from the way we generally walked in. Uh, so, you know, that situation, you know, it just didn't work for us. Um, you know, we wasted a lot of time, um, you know, the, I mean, really the fo- the whole, you know, first anything from black powder season to like the first four weeks of gun season, you know, we hunted that area um, and it just, you know, it didn't work out for us. Um, and then like later on in the season, you know, we were, we were back in there scouting and um, we had hung some cameras, you know, in different areas and, we had actually, you know, we we actually ended up getting deer on camera, and they had like totally changed their, you know, their movement pattern, uh, you know, once you know we were back in there and whatnot. So, uh, you know, we we just you know we buggered that spot up, and it didn't work for us. So, uh, so uh, the good example I want to give you is a uh, a little bit later in the season, you know, after we had, you know pulled the plug on that particular spot i had um my dad and i we had went hunting uh if i'm not mistaken i think it was it might have been black friday or something like that if i recall correctly and uh we uh i had done some map scouting and um you know had a spot picked out and uh so he and i we you know we tear out and we're going up through there and i um I seen a couple of does get up off the side of the ridge and, uh, you know, I kind of watched the way they went and they, they went right to the spot that I had marked. And, uh, so I told my dad, we, we just, you know, backed out and, uh, went to the truck. <clears throat> and so I got to studying it and from, there wasn't 
a good way in there. And what I mean by that is it was a, it was a big ridge, like a big, I'm talking a big tall ridge, north side of it, covered in mountain laurel, um, you know, dropped off into a creek bottom. And really that, you know, like the face of that ridge was, you know, honestly, it was only about a hundred yards off of the road that, you know, like the main driving road. And to, to get back in there to that spot that I had had marked, uh, you know, I had to walk, um, it was way up this creek bottom. I'm talking, you know, probably a mile. And, um, and then there was a, there was a drainage, uh, you know, that shot right up the side of the mountain. Uh, and then I was able to get, um, in there on the back side, you know, of, of that big mountain and, and really hunt what you would say the, you know, the South, the South end of it, but there was no good way, you know, you had to go that way. Uh, so the bad part about it was I knew, you know, the leaves were all on the ground, you know, they were crisp, uh, you know, so if you know, you know, you hunt hardwoods and once leaves fall off the trees, you know, you know, a mouse or a squirrel can sound like an elephant, you know, coming through the woods. So, um, I knew the deer were bedded up on the top of that mountain. And, uh, so I was like, you know, I gotta be able to get back in there somewhere, you know, somehow. So I got to think about it and I said, you know what, I've got to walk, I know I got to walk this Creek bottom, but I can't, I can't just walk this Creek bottom cause they're going to hear me. So, uh, I recall telling my dad, I said, look, I said, I need it to, you know, we need it to rain and I need the wind to be blowing, you know, I need all these conditions, you know, to be able to get back in there and, and get in there undetected. Well, a couple of days later, you know, that, uh, fortunately happened. I recall I was, you know, sitting home one night trying to decide where I was going to go. And, you know, and it's like, Hey, you dummy, you know, you, you got all the, you know, the conditions that you need to go to this spot. And, um, so, that's what I done. You know, next morning, you know, it was wet, it was raining. Um, I'm, I'm saying it's still drizzling. It wasn't raining at the time, but I was able to get in there undetected and, and, you know, walk all the way up that creek bottom, slip up that drainage and get back in on the south end of that big ridge system. And, uh, I was fortunate enough to kill, you know, an old deer that morning, uh, you know, probably around seven thirty, eight o'clock. So, that's, you know, two good examples, in my opinion, of one good example and one bad example of, you know, how to access and then how not to access. So It's a it's amazing how big of a difference that can make uh, if, you, if you truly just don't have a good way to get into your spot. I mean, you're I mean, your hunt's kind of over before it even gets started. And that first area that you described actually sets up really similar to how we had to access uh, the area that we hunted two weeks ago where we had to basically walk we weren't walking on top of the ridge we were paralleling the ridge in the bottom and just trying to stick right next to that creek and just walking right up the middle of that thing and then once we got even with our spot we would kind of shoot straight up and over the ridge uh or you know i mean just straight up the side of the ridge to whatever saddle that we were going to hunt and uh thankfully that area was i think maybe on a large enough scale that we were able to kind of get away from it because or, or we were able to get away with it because uh, the deer were bedded far enough away that we weren't really blowing them out or anything like that. Um, but I mean, it was still a challenge because I mean, there's really one way in and one way out. And if we, we just got really lucky with the, with the wind, because if the wind had been something different, then uh, like we couldn't have went in there at all. Hardly. I mean, we would have blown everything out. So, 
Um, how much does that play a factor as well? I mean, just the wind and the, the wind direction as well as how it kind of swirls in the mountains. Um, th- this may sound kind of off the wall, but do you try to like predict how the wind is going to like maybe deflect off of some ridges and stuff and, and have a general idea of like, okay, if I go right here, it's going to like kick back really hard most likely because of the steep face or do you do anything like that? So uh, yes and no. Uh, you know, go back to that deer, uh, you know, I killed uh, a few years back. You know, we actually talked about him on, you know, the first episode. Um, you know, it was, the, it was the deer that I told you was walking, you know, the, western side of the ridge that morning on the dark side you know um that particular spot that i went to that day was actually my it was actually my second choice um you know and i went there you know because of the wind the the spot that i wanted to go to you know it just was the wind wasn't right uh you know so i like to go to that spot uh you know and hunt because i knew the wind would be in my face uh, so you know I did, you know, play a factor in that, uh, you know, that particular day. And then <clears throat> last year I found a, I found a spot uh, on some, uh, I'm going to call it, it was some refuge land, uh, very mountainous area here locally. And uh, I was in this area scouting. Um, it was probably, uh it was the last weekend of September, last week of September. And, um, so I had, I had went and went back into this one area and, and scouted. And when I was coming back out, um, walk up on, you know, I don't, I can't, you know, tell you how many points the deer had, but he was a, you know, probably a solid, you know, 125, 130 inch, you know, deer i mean he was wide you know probably 18 plus inches wide and he was he was in this bottom um uh, feeding on white oak acres at like 9 30 in the morning and i was just sitting you know i was like you gotta be kidding me and so he you know he takes off running he runs you know up the side of the ridge you know he runs up there 100 yards and he just kind of turns around and looks back at me and then you know just kind of walks off well Obviously, after that, you know, I start putting a game plan together to try and uh, figure out how I can hunt this deer. And uh, so, to give you a kind of a description of how it laid out was, um, I come in from the top and I, you know, I walk through. It's kind of flat, um, and then it starts dropping off the mountain. And there was actually a, there's actually a, a kind of like a waterfall in there. Um, and the, the left side of it, uh, when, you know, when you're going down, it's just, it's super steep. I mean, can't really walk it. Uh, you know, it's got some, you know, like shelf rock in there. Um, you know, and that's actually the side the deer, uh, run up and that's where the deer were bedding at. And the, the right hand side, you know, it kind of, uh, it wrapped around and then like right below that waterfall area, um, was where the white oaks are or were, you know, were that the deer were feeding on. It did not matter, you know, what the wind conditions were, you know, on top of that mountain, down in the valleys or whatnot, you know, it swirled right there in that drainage every time I went in there. And, you know, it just, I never, you know, I tried it 
you know, on what I thought would be the best win, you know, you know, I really needed like a north wind, you know, uh, to hunt it. And, you know, so if I got a north wind, you know, it would bounce off the ridge, you know, that I was sitting on and then it would suck right down the bottom. And, you know, it never worked out. Obviously never saw the deer. Uh, and I'm sure he's probably still running around up there. So, uh, you know, had it work in my favor once or twice and then, you know, and had it, had it work against me probably, no telling how many times. Houndstooth Game Call's Dixie Hen Slate was just voted the overall best turkey call by Field and Stream Outdoors, and trust me, it's super easy to run and be extremely dynamic when you're in the turkey woods. Now, we've mentioned a couple of these calls in the past, like the Spur Master and the Success Call in a past episode with both Gary Vines and Lyle Gilbert of Houndstooth Game Calls. And it was funny enough, y'all actually bought every Spur Master call and Success Call they had. Now, pay attention to their website. They're going to have some more come up in stock in the next few days. So when they come available, make sure you get one if you did not purchase one before they sold out last time. Both the Spurmaster and the Success Call are fantastic for hunting high-pressure turkeys, whether you're on a hunting club where you have a lot of other members hunting those same turkeys, or if you're on public land. Again, both of those calls will make you sound a little bit different from everybody else and be a lot more subtle in your calling technique and be able to really help close those distance with those gobblers. So if you want to give Houndstooth Game Calls a try, go to houndstoothgamecalls.com. Use the promo code SOP24. Again, promo code SOP24 for 15% off houndtoothgamecalls.com. True Lock Chokes has been made in Georgia since 1981 and offering a wide range of chokes, over 2,000 different chokes for all kinds of shooting activities. You might be wondering why you'd want to purchase a True Lock Choke, and it's to improve your shotgun performance. Absolutely guaranteed. And as a great example, we have Andrew Maxwell here. And, uh, Andrew, you've had some pretty good luck, again, kind of switching out chokes and trying out the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. So, Andrew, what's been your experience so far? Yeah, I've always, I've used the same choke for several years now. I never really thought much of it, and I got the True Lock choke in. I patterned my gun with the first choke at uh, 30 and 50, and then I switched to the True Lock and changed from 30 to 50. And the 50-yard pattern on my gun with the True Lock choke is unbelievable like everybody's jaws were dropping like when we were out there with mike and sam we were all super impressed i mean it's throwing a better pattern at 50 now than it was throwing at 40 before my old choke and andrew you're shooting the precision hunter choke from true lock it's a great option same chokes i have in my shotgun so guys if you want to give true lock a shot this spring you can head over to truelockchokes.com that's t-r-u L-O-C-K chokes.com. You can also use the promo code Southern at checkout at truelockchokes.com and save 10% on your order. Again, give TrueLock a shot this spring, especially if you're not happy with the performance of your shotgun and shoot with a more deadly pattern with TrueLock. That kind of brings up another thing. Just with wind and, and wind swirling, especially when you get in these bigger hills, I mean, that kind of thing definitely happens a lot. Uh, let's say that you're maybe in one of your saddles and and you're in a good spot and you're feeling good about it and, and you just get some like real bad wind swirling for whatever reason. You know, like all of a sudden that, that wind hits you in the back of the neck for a little while. Are you gonna are you gonna stick it out and just kinda hang out and see what happens, or are you gonna bail and go to a different area? Man, I'll be honest with you, I feel like if I if I bailed every time that happened, uh, you know, where I hunt, I feel like I'd be you know that'd be a lot of trees that didn't have any bark left on them, you know, and <laughs> I'd probably have trails cut through the woods, you know what I mean? Because it's going to swirl. That's just all there is to it. And, you know, and that's kind of, uh, I kind of mentioned something earlier, you know, about 
I try to put myself on the same playing field as, you know, as, as a deer, you know, I, you know, I try to give myself, you know, an advantage or, 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 the, you know, on the same playing field. And what I mean by that, you know, is I want to hunt a spot where, um, you know, if in any way possible, you know, if it's morning, you know, I'm above him and, you know, hopefully, you know, if the wind is wrong, you know, hopefully, you know, maybe, you know, maybe my thermals will work in my favor and, you know, it, he doesn't bust me. Or, you know, I want to be, what I say on the same playing field is, um, on, you know, on a spot on that ridge where, you know, he has to come to my level and, you know, and we're both right there. And, you know, maybe, just maybe, you know, I'm able to see him, you know, for the five or six seconds that I need to get a shot, um, you know, prior to him busting me. Um, so, you know, I'll be honest with you, I just, I get, there probably been a couple of times where I bailed, you know, when the wind was swirling, but for the most part, you know, here in the hills, I just try and stick it out for the most, you know, most of the time. That's something that we hear from a lot of different guys uh, who, I mean, just frankly, kill a lot of big deer every year. Uh, they, they they have these spots that they go hunt that they're confident in, and if the wind swirls, then the wind swirls, and they're just going to sit there anyways. Or even maybe take it a step further, they'll have spots where they really don't know where the wind's or where the deer are going to come from, and so they don't really care what the wind is. They just go hunt it, and they, they sit it, and they put their time in in those spots, and they're extremely successful doing that uh so that, that's just always kind of an interesting thing that that i well, like to ask people yeah and you know i think it's a little different here than it is um you know i'm gonna say than the midwest i mean i've been there you know i've been up to you know illinois and indiana and you know all those states and hunted uh you know it's a little different in my opinion there than it is here you know because you know, if you get the wrong wind and, you know, you're hunting a, you know, you're hunting a, I'm going to call it a wood lot, you know, between some cornfields and, you know, it, it's blowing right down there where the deer are bedded, then, you know, it's pretty much going to, you know, screw you up, you know, but like here, and I know there's been a couple of guys that have talked about it, you know, I don't feel like our bucks, you know, they don't bed on the same ridge every night, you know, especially deer and, you know, during the rut season, you know, obviously they just, they don't, I feel like our deers, you know, they, you know, they got a loop, you know, it might be five miles, it might be two miles, but, you know, those mountainous deer, you know, they're, they're coming through these areas, you know, once every, in my opinion, once every few days, um, you know, some of the cameras that I run and my buddies run, I mean, that's, that seems to be the tail. Um, and I can give an example of that, you know, as far as, um, so that second buck I killed, the area, um, that I killed him in, my hunting partner, you know, I told you, you know, it was, it was his spot, not mine. I'm giving him all the credit for it, but he had, uh, we actually had three shooters on camera in that particular area. And, um, all of them, all of them have been killed now. Uh, he killed one of them and then actually, uh, Another guy uh, killed one of them. Funny story is he uh, he actually saw a deer on the back of a guy's truck when he was you know coming out of this particular 
uh, management area and recognized it and and pulled over and asked the guy. He was like, uh, "Hey, you know, did you kill that deer in such and such area?" And the guy was like, "Yeah, you know." So you know, it's just that's the, that's my buddy's luck. A lot of times, you know, he just runs into <laughs> crap like that. But you know, uh, but what I want to get to on that is like, you know, in that area, we would go, you know we wouldn't have these bucks on camera for, you know, three or four nights. And then all of a sudden, you know, he would show up, you know, and he would, he would, he had been in the area for, you know, hit two or three cameras and then he's gone again, you know? So, um, I just don't think our bucks staying, you know, in one core area, um, for any amount of time. Now we got these deer on camera, you know, don't get me wrong. Uh, multiple times uh you know within you know a month period but it wasn't every night you know so they were obviously out making around so uh going back to the you know the the wind and whatnot you know um you don't always know where they're going to come from you know i just don't um sometimes we have a general idea but you know here in the hills and mountains it's you know it's just a little different so Mm -hmm. i just try to stick it out for the most part we saw very similar stuff too, actually, on our cameras. Uh, these deer would just, they would cycle through every couple of days. Even on even on my hunting club that's just a couple of minutes from the house here, it's it's very rolling hills, pine cut over country, kind of like more of like what I'm used to. And even there, I'll have deer that disappear for like 10 days at a time, and then bam, they just show up one day, and they're there for like two or three days, and then they disappear again. And it, yep. it, was, it was very similar in the in the mountainous area that we recently hunted they would they they're there and they're st- they're hanging out they're all over these cameras for like two days and then they're just gone and then you know sometimes they'd show up three days later sometimes they'd show up 12 days later you know they, I, I never really found out like a rhyme or reason to it and, and then a hot doe got in there and all hell broke loose and it worked right. out for us and then and then they all showed back up at one time so that's kind of that we got lucky and hit that you know, there, I think there was probably one or two does in there that that just came into heat, and I mean, it was just an absolute buck fest. So, it, it yeah. was a lot of fun. So, like this particular area, um, just to to give you an example of like how the how the deer move in there. Uh, long story short, is um, there ended up actually we actually found two other cameras in this uh, vicinity, um, and we didn't know they were in there until the day that I killed the deer. Um, and I honestly thought they were my buddy's cameras, you know? So I, I walked past them, you know, and like, you know, told them, Hey, what's up, you know? And, uh, you know, just, you know, thought he'd see them later. Well, long story short is, um, they ended up belonging to another guy and we actually knew him, you know, uh, you know, what's the chances of that? You know, we actually knew who he was, um, he actually reached out to me because he, uh, you know, I may or may not have, you know, like held my deer up in front of his camera, you know, like when I dragged out that <laughs> night and showed it to him, you know, and, and, you know, told him, wait just one second, you know, went and got it, whatnot. But, uh, uh, you know, it was, it was funny looking back, you know, but, uh, what I want to get to on that is, so he had two cameras in there and they were, one of his cameras was like legit, not a hundred yards from, you know, my buddy Joe's camera. And out of those three shooter bucks that we had on camera, he only had one of them on camera. You know, 
through and his cameras were there the whole time that ours were there and uh, he had one one of the shooters and we had the other two and like where i killed the deer uh you know was not 150 yards from this guy's camera and um but he didn't have it on camera you know he just didn't have them he didn't know they were there and uh but you know he did have the you know the deer that you know that i didn't kill and the deer that my buddy joe didn't kill he he had this other deer on camera and it's the one that, you know, my buddy Joe saw in the back of the guy's truck. Um, so the funny part about that is the last night that we all got him on camera, um, that deer within, I think it was, I want, I think it was 28 minutes. He covered over 600 yards in 28 minutes, you know, from one camera to the next, you know? So, I think that's a pretty good example of saying, you know, that, hey, they're not staying in no 300-yard area, you know, up here in the mountains. You know, they, when they go to traveling, you know, and making their loop, they're making their loop, and they're making it pretty fast. Yeah, no doubt. That's interesting. Um, talking about where, just out of curiosity, you said that you had these, these bucks on camera, but this other fellow who had cameras in there didn't have all these same deer on camera. Uh I mean, what was he putting his cameras on versus what y'all were putting your cameras on? I mean, were you throwing them up on scrapes or, or watching those saddles well, or what? Uh, to be to be honest with you, uh, I can tell you what his were on. His were on crossings uh, on some trails. Uh, and to this day, I'm not sure. Uh, I I don't really know what my buddy Joe's got his cameras on because I haven't been to him. Uh, mm. You know, he... You know, he scouted that. You know, he scouted that spot, and um, you know, and like I said, you know, earlier, you know, he he invited me to go, and uh, you know, that's one of the things I kind of want to mention. You know, a little bit later, you know, it's like having a good hunting partner. You know what I mean? Because um, having a good hunting partner, you know, it it helps you and it helps him. You know what I mean? It helps each other. You know, each other be successful. Um, so far as what his cameras were on I, I think he might have had them on a scrape i don't know if he made the scrape i'm not sure um but I, like i said i know the other guy had his on a crossing mm-hmm. okay i got you uh jacob is there anything we're leaving off here for you uh not necessarily you know one thing i, I wanted to touch on and uh, as i was listening to the conversation i don't think um Justin, you really kind of got into it. Or if you did, I, I misheard. Did you talk? Uh, have you mentioned again the whole idea of the J hook and how sometimes in these areas you have to kind of you know do a, a wide loop to kind of get into some of these areas um, based off the conditions that are you know given to you? Because that's something that you know we kind of did. I brought this up on podcast a long time ago, but uh, at my uncle's farm, there's a one of a field that we would go to hunt on top of this ridge and you would hunt on a north wind, but you had it coming from the north, so you had a J-hook to that spot, and it would still work pretty well when you got in there clean. But what I mean, what is your take on J-hooking to some of these locations where you're going in with the winter back, but you're just off wind of the area you're trying to get to, and then you'll kind of, you know, cross over to that location so you can kind of get into that area clean? Right. And, and, I mean, I guess my example would, on that would be, you know, what I mentioned earlier about, you know, when I had to walk up that creek bottom, um, you know, you know, after it was, you know, raining and the wind was blowing, you know, that's basically what I had to do. It, it was basically walking a J hook, uh, to get in there to where I was going. Um, 
you know, you know, sometimes, you know, in like that particular scenario, I mean, honestly, you know, I, you know, I probably wasn't, you know, five or 600 yards from the truck, you know, but, you know, I had to walk almost a mile, you know, back in, you know, up the bottom, you know, through a drainage, you know, up the backside of the ridge, you know, to get to where I was going um, to make it work, you know, or otherwise, you know, there wasn't no way I could even get there, uh, you know, without walking, you know, like straight up, you know, a vertical incline, um, you know, you know, it would probably been, I don't know, just guessing, you know, three, 400 feet of, you know, straight up elevation through uh, Mount Laurel and whatever else was up through there, you know, rock shelves and boulders and everything else to try and get to the top of it. So, um, you know, you know, that's definitely a factor that sometimes I have to do. Uh, and you know, that, you know, that particular day, it, you know, it worked out for me. So Justin, I do want to kind of get to the whole idea of like having a good hunting partner and you know, what that means for you. I know you get your buddy Joe that you hunt a bunch with, you know, what is your take on like getting a good hunting partner that you can trust, but you can really kind of break down these areas. Cause this is a topic we've brought on the podcast many a times with other guests and even me and Andrew have discussed this before, but you know, what does a good hunting partner mean to you and, and how do you kind of work on that relationship of someone that you can, you know, trust, you go hunt hard with, and you really kind of feed off each other in these areas that you can really break down? So the first thing I'm going to say is it takes, it takes some time. Uh, I think it takes a lot of time uh, to, I'm going to say, gain gain that person's, you know, gain trust of a good, a good hunting partner. Um you know, I got, you know, I hunt with him more than I hunt with anybody else other than my son. Uh, you know, we always hunt together. Now, you know, there's there's one or two other guys that, you know, that I'll go with. Um, you know, one's my cousin. You know, I trust him. His hunting style is kind of like mine. And then, you know, there's, a, there's another guy that I've, you know, started going with a few times. And, you know, he's – he and I, we probably got the – out of the out of the three guys, you know, this other guy, he, you know, we our similarities and interests are probably uh, more in common, you know, than the other two guys. Um, but man, ha- having a good partner, it it's uh, I'm telling you, man, that's that's what's I think that's what makes you know successful hunters successful hunters um, because you know, for example, like you know. I got two boys, a wife, you know, bless your heart for putting up with me, uh, and, you know, me doing all the, you know, hunting and, uh, map scouting that I do, you know, I actually got in trouble just, uh, you know, before the park, uh, before the podcast started, cause I was in there, uh, looking at some maps from, uh, you know, for where I'm going this weekend. Uh, but you know, there'll be days where, uh, you know, that he can go scout, like my buddy can go scout and I can't go scout, um, you know, He'll go run, you know, he'll go run his cameras in his area, um, you know, and I'll, you know, I can go to another area and I can run my cameras and then, you know, we can, you know, we can compare what we got and, um, you know, decide on where we're going to go. Uh, you know, he knows where I'm going to be, you know, I know where he's going to be. Um, you know, we're, we're able to cover more ground that way, um, you know, some there's no telling how many bucks you know have 
pass by guys, you know, just because you just can't simply cover enough terrain um, by yourself, you know. So um, having that guy, you know, it, it I think it really, you know, increases your odds of uh, seeing deer, um, you know. One or one of you's going, you know, one of you's probably going to see something. Whereas, you know, if it's by yourself, you may or you may not. Uh, you know, and you always got somebody there to ask advice. You know, I mean, I, you know, I've killed, you know, I've killed a, a good many bucks over the past, you know, few years. But you know, one thing I'll I'll just be opening up front with you about is, I you know, I don't mind asking him for advice. Um, you know, and, and he don't mind asking me for advice. Um, sometimes we don't always, you know, we don't always agree on each other's opinion. Um, but, you know, we still ask. Um, and I think that's a, you know, a, a, a something that, you know, you don't need to be scared to do. You know, like, I'll be honest with you, I'll, I'll use this for an example. I've got um, my father-in-law's two cousins. They're like, in my eyes, they're like, the turkey gods you know what i mean they these guys know turkey hunting like um unlike anybody else that i know and like <clears throat> when when i know these guys are going to be at the family reunion you know I, i'm like excited to go you know what i mean and and they're probably like tired of hearing me ask questions um you know because i don't claim to be a good turkey hunter that's you know that's basically what i talk to them about um you know I'm the kind of guy that, you know, I think I spend a lot of time uh, scouting for deer when I turkey hunt, um, you know, but I ask these guys questions, you know, until their ears bleed. Um, so, you know, and, and, and I think that, you know, when you have that partner like that, um, you can ask those questions and, and help each other out. And it's just a, uh, you know, it's just a big part in, in my opinion. And, um, you know, I, I think it makes the, um, hunt more enjoyable uh, you know obviously you know I guess you could say it's obviously safer uh, you know because if you know if your wives are uh, like my wife you know she always wants to know where I'm at and you know if uh, if she knows that somebody's going to be with me or you know or if my hunt partner knows where I'm going to be um, you know it obviously uh, gives her ease of mind I think uh, you know poor old Joe, uh, you know, his wife, she calls me, you know, four or five times a hunting season, you know, won't know if I've heard from him if we're not together because, you know, he can't keep his phone charged up. And I'm like, yeah, I know where he's at, you know, blah, blah, blah. If he ain't home by such and such, I'll go get him. Uh, you know, fortunately it's never come to that, but you know, it just, it makes a world of difference in, um, several different ways, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. Mutually beneficial, man. Uh, and that you bring up a good point too, asking for advice. Cause that, that's always something really helpful. And me and Jacob do that all the time where like, maybe, maybe we'll have some, like, I don't know, some off the wall thing we're wanting to do. And we're like, Hey, do you think, uh, you think this will work if I, if I did this? And then the other one will be like, no, that's stupid. <laughs> you know, like right. don't, don't try it. And you know, they'll You're talk right. you out of bad plans and talk you into good plans. So that's that is a very very valuable thing to have for sure. And, and I'll be honest with you, like uh, I get just as much enjoyment, you know, as you know, if if one of my buddies or like you know my obviously I get you know pretty excited when my son kills the deer, but you know if you know if 
if one of my buddies, if we go in, if we go into an area and, you know, and he kills a 130 inch deer, in my opinion, man, it's, it's, a, you know, it's success for both of us. I mean, cause sometimes it was, you know, it took both of us to do it. Uh, you know, uh, I hope he feels that way, you know, about me, uh, you know, I think unfortunately, and you know, it seems like sometimes, you know, he's the unluckier one of the two of us, uh, you know, he likes to rub that in on me a good bit, but you know, that's just the way it is. But he's, you know, he's always excited when I kill one and, you know, he's, he's always there to help, uh, get them out of the woods. So, you know, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Justin, is there, as we're kind of getting to a point of wrapping up here, is there anything else that, that you like to do or anything that you like that's kind of critical to, to how you go about hunting deer in the mountains that, that we didn't cover? Uh, yeah, I'd like to probably bring up one more topic and that would be, um, the importance of, you know, uh, picking and choosing when you're going to go to a hunting area. And that, what I mean by that is, um, you, and you might call it, caught on it, you know, a little bit, cause I've kind of in a way mentioned it twice already, but, um, the first time into an area, um, has been, especially last year, you know, um, the three bucks that I actually killed last year, um, it was the first time that I had been in those areas to hunt when I killed all three of them. Um, you know, map scouting, e-scouting, you know, that's, that's plays a huge factor in what I do. Uh, you know, the days of just pulling up to a spot, walking in the woods and spending two or three hours scouting, you know, or in the past, uh, you know, there's a bunch of guys like me that, you know, they've got, um, families and kids and, you know, work schedules and, you know, your, your schedule is just busy, 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 busy. So you gotta, you know, make good use of your time. Uh, so, you know, I spent a lot of time, you know, studying maps and whatnot and, and then trying to uh, pick what days I go, um, you know, if conditions aren't right. Sometimes, you know, sometimes I don't go, you know, if, you know, if I know a cold front's going to roll through, you know, I try to go hunt that first calm day after the cold front. I mean, um, you know, it's been, it's been a success for me. And, and, and then the surprise factor, you know, of like the first time you go into an area, um, you know, I think that's your best chance, uh, of killing a deer, you know, or killing, you know, if, if you think there's a mature deer in there, that's your best chance of killing him. And, uh, you know, one thing I kind of joke about sometimes, you know, on that part of it is I kind of look at it like, you know, back to your high school dating days or something, you know, <clears throat> sometimes you could get that first date, you know, uh, but you may, you know, you may not get a second one, you know, that girl, she might not like the way you smell or, you know, what you drove or, you know, your buddy's Z71 might have been more, you know, pimped out than your Nissan or whatever. But, you know, my point there is you got a chance the first time you go in there. You know, it's up to you. You know, you may screw it up. So, you know, try to make the first time count. And, you know, um, that's a big factor for me, you know. So, you know, like making that first day count, you know, go when the conditions are right, you know, if you can um and and be smart about it and i think it'll help you out mm-hmm. that, that's something that could just really turn into a podcast of its own but 
I'm going to go ahead and ask this question anyways. Uh, what are some of the things that you use to determine whether or not the conditions are right? You know, uh, like what are some of the things that tell you, Hey, this is the day that I need to go in here and be intrusive and try to actually kill this deer. So like I use the deer I killed, uh, back during both season, you know, if you, if you rewind your brain, you know, a few months, you know, we had an early cold front, uh, that rolled through the state, um, back in October. Um, so I look, you know, when I, I looked at that cold front, you know, I obviously felt like it was going to trigger deer movement. You know, it was the first one of the year, uh, you know, you know, where I was hunting, you know, like that particular time of the year, you know, we're, we're a couple of weeks out from, you know, pre-road activity. Uh, so, you know, I felt like, you know, Hey, it's going to get them up and on their feet. Uh, you know, so I looked at it and I saw, you know, it, it, it pushed in and then like the following the next day it was like super overcast you know very windy and whatnot and then the following day it was going to be you know it was cold still sunny and we had a high pressure day you know i can't you know barometric pressure was up there or it's you know when i looked at it it was you know forecasted to be up there you know so i felt like that was the day i needed to go you know you know and past the day i chose to go it was uh you know it was actually i think it was if i'm not mistaken i, I think it was like the day that 19th of october or 20th or something like that i know it, it was right around my birthday um you know but that's the day i chose to go uh you know because i felt like it was going to be better than you know those other days um you know it was the first good day after that cold front come through and you know it, it it worked out. So, you know, I try to, I try to trigger it around things like that, if at all possible. Um, you know, maybe it ain't a cold front. Maybe it's a, you know, like, you know, for the past couple of days, you know, we've had some uh, stormy conditions, you know, raining a lot. And like, you know, this afternoon, you know, it was actually, um, you know, we had a sunny afternoon and it was, cooler conditions outside and uh, i don't know about you guys but uh you know my phone's been lighting up you know ever since we've been on the podcast you know with cell cam pictures coming in and you know so you know the deer were on their feet this afternoon you know so you know in my opinion you know i i had actually considered you know hey it had been a good afternoon to go um you know if i'd have been able to you know because it was the first you know higher pressure day that we've had in, you know, in the past three or four days. And so it sounds like that, that barometric pressure really plays a big role for you then? Yes, I do study it, uh, for sure. Uh, you know, yeah, I'm a, if it's 29, I'm staying at the house. I just, you know, if it's down there at 29, 29 mark, you know, it's amazing. I feel like I'm wasting my time. I ain't never seen many deer when it's down there that low. And, and I tell you another thing like, I'm a big advocate for, too, is like, uh, you know, the predicted deer movement times. And, you know, uh, I don't know if it's coincidence or not, but, you know, if it says it's a major movement time in the mornings, you know what I mean? I ain't going to lie to you. I perk up in that I perk up in that seat, you know, like it's uh, like my wife bringing that steak to the table. You know what I mean? Because I feel like they're fixing to be coming. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, anything that I guess that maybe correlates with 
moon phase, but maybe you're just getting that data from those kind of major minor feeding times. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest with you, like, you know, I actually look, you know, I was actually looking at that, uh, like right before the podcast started because I'm planning on going in the morning, but I'm, you know, I'm not a big, I'm not a big fan of a full moon, me personally. Um, I don't know. I don't, you know, I personally, you know, like the next week or so, you know, after the full moon, but so. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, I'm more of a, I'm more, you know, obviously if I'm going to go, you know, like, you know, you know, prime movement times are going to be midday tomorrow. And I mean, and, you know, based off experience, you know, that's when I'm going to see the deer. I mean, uh, you know, so I definitely, you know, I definitely believe in it uh, for sure. Man, we could go on for a long time about conditions and everything, um, but we're, we're here pretty close to the point where we need to wrap it up. Uh, Jacob, do you have anything else? Yes. Uh, one thing, Joseph, I want to ask, uh, you, and you need to talk about this, but I think it goes hand in hand with talking about your first time in is your best time. In, in the last few years, how many times have you killed, uh, or how many spots have you killed multiple bucks in compared to, like, different spots you killed, you know, a buck in, you know, once? So... Yes, <clears throat> I'm trying to think back. So the two deer I killed this year, you know, they've both been, they were both my first time in. The three I killed last year, you know, they were all first time in. I'll be honest with you, man, looking back to like, looking back to like 2017 or 2018, I still don't think there's been a, uh, I don't think I've killed, I don't think I've killed two bucks in the same spot yet, to be honest with you. And that to me, that's extremely impressive. That's why I wanted to bring it up. Is you know, you're you're killing really nice deer every single year, and it's not like you have a honey hole where like you have this one specific spot that you sit all the time, and you're killing bucks at the same spot. Like you're bouncing around, you're using your uh, topo maps, you know, you're using your uh, your different mapping apps to find spots you're going in and killing bucks on the first time, and you're not doing it in the same spot over and over again, which is again extremely impressive so i think that's a huge takeaway for i think for a lot of listeners is you know if you really know what you're looking for with these maps and uh and have an understanding of you know how deer use terrain you know you could have success similar uh you know with some experience and with some time in the woods uh like justin what you're doing so that's again super impressive i just wanted to bring that up so the listeners kind of had an understanding of um you know what you're actually doing and accomplishing because i think it's a huge accomplishment uh, to be able to do that right so, I mean, and I want to make it clear, like, I'm not biased about, you know, like going back to those other, you know, some of those spots. And I have been back to them. Uh, and I've, you know, I've seen deer in them, but, you know, um, but I, you know, to this day, I don't think I've, that I, there's not one that's coming to my mind that I've killed, you know, like two in one spot. Uh, you know, there's some spots I haven't been back to, uh, you know, and definitely some spots I want to go back to that I just haven't, um, uh, got back to you know yet uh but you know um that you know i definitely do have some of them on my you know on my interest i guess you'd say to get back into for sure um you know i've kind of there's a couple of them you know i felt like you know i, I killed the you know mature deer out of them and uh you know i just kind of been i guess in a way if it makes sense you know hoping one you know another deer get back in there and um you know, and make it his home. So uh, I guess time will tell, you know, if that actually plays a factor or not, or if that actually holds true. Well, that's a good point to bring up too. Cause I feel like that also makes you uh, a more versatile hunter. I mean, if you're, if you're bouncing around like that and being able to have success in multiple areas, that's just, 
they get uh, you know every time you get one that just gives you that much more confidence to hit that next spot and and go into the next area and you can keep fine tuning your method and everything to to the point of where I mean you get you get really versatile and and really effective with your strategy and you're you're able to go in and kill a deer on the first time on a lot of these hunts. Right. Yeah, like I said, I don't, I don't you know. I think some of it, you know, some of it's luck, but at the same time, you know, I think you got to you got to put yourself in the situation to be lucky if that makes sense. Absolutely. Well, Justin, we appreciate you coming on, man. Uh I wish you the best of luck in filling that last buck tag. We still got I mean, uh, a lot of our our you know, brothers and sisters from the Midwest may not, you know, their their deer season might be ending right now, but we're uh, just getting started for a lot of the state. So, I mean, you you still got a pretty decent amount of time, actually over a month of uh, good rutting activity if you want to travel around. So uh, excited to see if you're able to fill that third buck tag, man. It's going to be exciting. So, uh, but anyways, we appreciate you coming on, Justin. You have any kind of concluding thoughts you want to throw out there? No, man, I just say uh, I encourage you guys, you know, you ain't hunting get out there and get after it absolutely all right well thanks for listening everybody make sure you tune in friday for the friday breakdown edition of the southern outdoorsman podcast Look, last summer, y'all heard us talk a bunch about the mobile hunters expo it was an incredible event a bunch of you guys came out to meet us We got to talk to, I don't even know how many listeners. If you heard all that last year and you were like, dang, that sounded cool, I should have went to that. Here's your chance. You need to make it to this one. It's June 28th through June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. All right, giving you a heads up here, so go ahead and mark it on your calendar. June 28th through June 30th, Dalton, Georgia is going to be the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. We're going to be there. A bunch of our past podcast guests are going to be there. There's going to be seminars. All of the mobile hunting companies are going to be there for you to try out gear before you buy it. It's like the one event of the year where all of the the like the mobile hunter ecosystem just kind of congregates in one place. And Chris and Josh and the guys have done an absolutely phenomenal job putting this thing together over the last couple years. And it keeps getting better every year. So like I said, make sure you come see us. We're going to have a gigantic stack of free stickers to give away to every listener that stops by the booth. And we're going to have merch there to purchase. We're going to be recording podcasts, shooting videos, all kinds of stuff. So like I said, don't miss it. You can head on over to the mobilehuntersexpo.com to look at show schedules and dates and go ahead and grab your tickets. So y'all go check it out at the mobilehuntersexpo.com.